Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 79 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Having your first baby is an exciting time for almost everybody. Having that first baby be twins makes it especially exciting. For today's guest, Riley, it was such a joy to be pregnant with twins after two years of infertility. When those babies were born, she really felt like she had won the jackpot in getting two healthy, happy babies that she got to bring home after only two days in the hospital. All that was short-lived, though, when her husband got up to check on the babies when they were only three weeks old and found that Eli was not breathing. Riley's fairy tale life quickly turned into the nightmare of grief. Today, we talk about that grief and the journey of having twins and only being able to watch one of them grow up. Thank you so much, Riley, for agreeing to come on the show today and talk about your son, Eli. Thank you so much for having me. So Eli was a twin and has a twin sister, Alice. So I want you to start out just by talking about pregnancy with the twins and what that was like. I always think those are more, even more fun pregnancy stories than regular ones. Um, Yeah. So Eli and Alice are twins. My husband and I, we went through fertility treatment Uh and it was about two years Uh, if you were to add everything up together before we got pregnant with Alice and Eli. And we were so excited when we found out that there were two of them. Mm -hmm. My pregnancy from the start until about halfway through was very, very uneventful. Um, We were so excited, but there there weren't any complications or anything like that. And then um, I went for an ultrasound at maybe 22 weeks it was the week that we did my baby shower mm-hmm. and then I got the results back from that and I was sent up to um, our maternal fetal medicine mm-hmm. hospital and I was uh, kept there for about a month in total oh so they saw something that was worrisome then yeah so it it was just a cervical shortening. Oh, okay. Right. So the babies looked good, but they were worried you're going to deliver them early, early. Exactly. Babies were perfect. And all along, like the babies were perfect. It was just a lot of weight to be carrying all at once. It is a lot of weight. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so um, I was on bed rest from 23 weeks until about 34 weeks. Oh, my word. 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. I went on bed rest like two weeks and I felt like that was way enough. <laughs> so I couldn't yeah, imagine hard. doing 11. It's really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. But I mean, thankfully at that point, it was just my husband and I, so we didn't, it, it felt hard, but at the time we didn't have a lot of other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some moms who have other kids yeah, at the that, time. It was my first two. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> and I was terrible at at doing bed rest like at home I totally flunked it at home I you know I'd be like well I think I can I remember getting up and scrubbing in the kitchen and thought if I'm sitting that's okay I can scrub in the kitchen like no you can't bed rest is bed rest you really should be on bed rest and not sitting and doing super cleaning because something's annoying you that it's just not clean enough that's not a good enough excuse but yeah. In my mind, it was very important suddenly to get that. Well, clean. you just get so bored. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, incredibly bored. Mm-hmm. I was a pediatrics resident. And so then I all of a sudden went from like working these crazy long hours to just being at home and having my husband do crazy long hours as an anesthesia resident. And me just again sitting at home doing nothing. All of my friends are working. My husband yeah. is working. It's hard. <laughs> it must have been quite the adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness it wasn't yeah. 11 weeks. Oh, my word. Yeah. I Yeah, when I was first put on bed rest, it seemed like they were going to be there any minute. We were told to expect like a delivery within a couple weeks mm-hmm. max. They talked to us about some some really hard things like what we would do if one of the babies was in distress and like would we want to take one to save yeah, to, the other. Right. To deliver them both to just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or would we want to, or would we want to leave them both in and yeah. give the other twin like a better chance at survival mm-hmm. if we were to let them stay in longer? So, I mean, it, it was a really hard time for us Yes, during the pregnancy, especially because they both looked they both looked so good. Yeah. Like they were so healthy. And so it, it just felt really cruel to have, you know, it be me, the reason that it, things weren't working out, you know, but you did awesome. You did not flunk, flunk, uh, being on bed rest. You did great. Uh, we, we were very, very lucky that things worked out the way that they did it. Yeah. It was, it was a really hard time for us. And then we hit, you know, all these milestones where they would likely be okay mm-hmm. if they were here yeah. or they would only need so long in the NICU. And it just, every time it just felt, it just felt so amazing making it to those milestones. Yeah. And then finally I was able to get off bed rest and I delivered at 36 weeks. So. Oh my word. Yeah. <laughs> I was very, very lucky. That feels like term for twins for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, it was 36 weeks and six days. So I was I was pretty much term for any baby. Oh, my word, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very, very lucky that things worked out the way that they did. But it was very emotionally taxing at the time. And I remember thinking like, wow, we just went through so much to even try to get pregnant. Yeah. And then we had this, this difficult pregnancy. And then they were here and we just kept feeling like, okay, we fought our battle, right? Like they're, they're going to be fine because they're here and we can keep them safe. And obviously that's not how things played out, but 
Yeah, but you thought certainly you've done your bad stuff. You know, yes. you That's like, exactly things, how it felt. Yeah, like <laughs> things are going to be good now. Now, now they're here. Yeah. Now things will be great. Yeah, like at that point, the universe just owed us one, but no. <laughs> <laughs> that is what it feels yeah. like, though. Mm-hmm. It yeah, it definitely does, but that's not how it works. <laughs> so, were they able to come home then, really right away? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, yeah, we were home within like two days. Yeah, we were, we were so happy. Yeah, talk about those first days and what that was like having the twins. I mean, we were just figuring thing things out because we were you know, brand new parents, but also brand new parents to twins. But like, I look back on those days, and we just seemed so happy, like we had everything we ever wanted. Yeah. 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 And then that didn't last that long, though, did it? It didn't. But I'm so grateful for the time that we did have. Mm -hmm. And I go back and forth between being grateful that we didn't know that there was something wrong. Yes. Wishing that we had known. I mean, ultimately, I wish we had known so that we could have done something. But I mean, the time that we did have, it was just like, it just felt very blissful. Mm -hmm. Like it just, we were so happy. Yeah. I I know I go back and forth in my mind on that one too. And I was just on another podcast interviewed by a dad who lost his daughter to cancer and they knew from a long time that they would lose her. And then obviously I lost Andy in a car accident. So one second, he's just a happy, healthy teenager and the next he's gone. And there isn't a good way, but you do wonder, right? I mean, I think sometimes like, I wish I'd have had time to say goodbye. I wish I would have sort of known. But yet, on the other hand, I'm really glad I didn't because I I really did enjoy that time that we had. And had I known that it was coming, that I was only going to have him for a certain amount of time, would I have spent that time, more of that time worrying and not just being blissfully happy? I mean, I think that's where you're at too. Like, right, like, Maybe I would have appreciated it more, but maybe I just would have been a worried mess. And then would we have had spent that time in hospitals and doing things and had the outcome be the same? Yeah. Because if that's the case, then that's not the life that you would have wanted for him to have it be in the hospital. No. Yeah. No, he, he, he got to meet so many people mm-hmm. and to spend so much time with people who who like truly loved him and still do today. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Yeah. Were they first grandchildren for grandpas and grandmas? They were. Yeah. Wow. So that does make them extra special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you talk now about what happened with Eli? Um, sure. So we, we went up, about four hours away to visit my mom's family. Um, Everyone was really excited to meet them. And for some reason, we felt like traveling that far with twins was something we were ready to take on. So because how old were they at that point? They were three weeks old. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is brave to do that with for three week old twins. I mean, looking back on it, I'm like, what were we thinking? But (laughs) 
at the time we were just, we were so happy and we were so confident and it just, it didn't seem like as daunting a task, (laughs) but yeah. So we drove up to visit my mom's family and we, we spent the day with them and they got to meet all of my cousins and my aunts and uncles again, like they just, he knew so much love. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really all he knew. And so we, we put them down for bed and after we had fed them and my husband and I went to bed shortly after because we were exhausted mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't, I, it's all a blur. Yeah. I don't know if my husband woke up because he had that like anxious feeling that something was wrong or if it was time to feed them. But regardless, he woke up and went, he checked on them and he woke me up and he said, Eli isn't breathing. And I remember just thinking like that he was a new dad and he was scared and that this couldn't possibly be as bad as he was making it sound that this wasn't happening, but it was. And we, uh, my mom called 911 and my husband did CPR on our boy and we just waited for the paramedics to get there. My husband fought so hard for Eli and I'm so proud of him. Yeah. I was just, I was in complete shock. Yeah. Cause it just, he, he was so strong and he was so, he just looked healthy. Yeah. So it was just, it didn't, none of it made sense. Right. And it, that, thing that you expressed where it's like here one minute and gone the next yeah it's just it just really it's shocking and we we went to the hospital and they wouldn't let me go in the ambulance with him and they when we got there I remember telling the nurse like we're looking for our son Eli because we had no idea where he was we were four hours from home we didn't even know what the hospital was Yeah. And so I just remember her face falling when she realized who we were. And we were brought into this room and he was connected to all the tubes and wires and they were working so hard on him. And I'm I'm so, so grateful to the team who tried to bring him back. Yeah. And I, again, it's a blur, so I have no idea how long they worked on him. It felt like a long time. And then I remember they told me that I could hold his hand. And I remember feeling so happy that I could hold his hand, but also like it just knocked the wind out of me because I knew they wouldn't let me get in the way if they thought they had a chance to save him. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went over and I held his hand. And then after a couple minutes, the pediatrician, who was in the room just kind of looked at me and said, we're going to stop now. Okay. Yeah. And I remember just being like, okay, because what else can you do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Riley. 
It's the hardest thing. Yeah. I know I will never forget watching them do CPR on my son. Oh, it's the most horrible thing. Yeah, it really is. Thank you. Yeah, it really is. It's so funny because our stories are so, so different, but yet there are little pieces that are the same and that my husband did CPR on my son and your husband did CPR on your son and it takes a lot of bravery to be able to do that. It does. And I, I remember I listened to an episode you did recently where you said like your husband was trained for this. Yeah. And it was mine. (laughs) He was, he was too. Yeah. What does he do? He's a special constable. So he works with prisoners who are in custody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they're trained for all of this because sometimes they have overdoses and yeah things like that. So I just remember I was so hopeful, but I didn't think that I didn't have the confidence yeah. that it was going to be okay. And yeah, I am just really proud of my husband for how he acted in that moment. Yeah. And I know for me too, I am, you know, I'm, I'm so sad that I was unconscious and missed so much of it and couldn't help. But on the other hand, I'm so glad that I didn't have to help because it was bad enough to watch it being done. Yeah. I don't know about doing it myself. I just, I just don't know that I could have done that, you know? And yeah, I'm so glad I didn't have to. I, I'm really glad that my husband was able to do that. You know, that he could try and that at least someone tried and we know that the best was done from the very beginning, you know. So that is a little bit of a relief to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just now, like with time, I can look back on it and think like, wow, like he was really fighting for Eli's life like that. It must have been so hard to be the one doing that. But like he was just fighting. Yeah, I know. In the only way that he could in that moment. And so was your husband. Yep. Just doing everything they possibly could. Yeah. Yeah. I I know my husband said that he just didn't think he could fail. Like he thought it was going to be okay. He thought he would be able to do it and he would be able to save him. And, and I'm glad he thought that because had he had this feeling like this is all worthless, then he might not have tried as hard. And I think he needed to try hard. I think he needed to do that for his own, you know, healing maybe later or just to know that he did absolutely everything he possibly could have done. Yeah. And for me too, to know that he was doing a better job than I could have done and that he tried. I mean, that's, it is a little bit of a comfort to know that, that we did everything. Definitely. So I know then you had to go through the uh, experience of having the autopsy and things like that done too, like we did. And uh, talk about that a little bit, because I know you, you never really got a real answer as to what happened. No. So I think 
it's it's strange because so much is is not your choice yes after an experience like that we weren't given an option of having an autopsy it was we're doing this yeah we weren't either and i i know there's another mom that i had on not not real long ago that said no you will not do an autopsy and and i was like what what would that have been like i that was never even in the cards we knew that that was happening for sure yeah Mm -hmm. and likely i would have wanted one anyways because that's just kind of how i'm wired is i want answers but it not being your choice it's like it's like another layer of loss you know yes because and then i'm sure you had to deal with like police interviews and things as well Mm -hmm. uh, which which we did and it's it's hard because it's like you're just being interviewed and asked all these questions and you've just lost your child and it's just so overwhelming and we weren't allowed to leave the hospital with Alice we were told we weren't allowed to leave until children's services came and we were that's horrible we were immediately cleared of anything but just hearing that it it's traumatizing yeah and the doctors decided they wanted to admit Alice for a couple days just to make sure that um she was okay Mm -hmm. because they really had no idea what happened to Eli and once I understood that this was for Alice's health and not her safety yeah I was completely on board with that Mm -hmm. So they ran, they ran every test on her. She was so tiny. And I just remember like how hard it was to get blood from her. And it was so hard. And after I think three or four days, we were allowed to go home. Mm -hmm. And that just like leaving the hospital with one baby when we should have been leaving with both was so cruel and I my uncle took the other car seat out of the car for us so we didn't have to see an empty car seat and things like that but it just the whole thing felt so wrong yeah yeah Yeah. I know for us too going home was incredibly difficult for me I had a very hard time in some ways I felt a little happy that they had admitted Peter because they admitted Peter since he was in the accident and had a concussion. And, you know, if it's, if it killed the kid sitting right next to him and they needed to make sure that he was going to be okay. So I am a little, feel a little, felt a little relieved to not have to go home that night to at least, it almost put it off put off like yeah. having to see that bedroom and things like that. Yeah. So I'm sure it was hard to see Alice, but going home must have been incredibly hard too. Yeah. And it was, it was the four hour drive home too. So it was, it was challenging and we had to stop to feed her and stuff. And I I remember on the way up there, we, cause when you're parents of twins, it's, it's just like, it's such an identity thing. Yeah. And I remember like people would would stop and talk to us and ask us about the twins and oh are you guys sleeping and just all the questions you get 
when you have twins and I remember like it was, it was nonstop. Like it was to the point where it was hard to get things done with them in public. And on the way up, we had that experience and on the way home, it like that was gone. Yeah. 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 That would be so hard. Yeah. And now everyone's asking the question now, instead of, Oh, about your twins. It's, Oh, is that your first to Alice? Yeah. And she's, she's technically not our first. Her brother was born (laughs) just before her Mm -hmm. and it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Because she will always be a twin. Yeah, she, she is a twin. Mm -hmm. That's a part of who she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how long did it take to get those autopsy results then? Did it take a while? It took a year. Wow. So, yeah, we got an initial report that same week mm-hmm. saying that they weren't able to find anything on the autopsy and or on the initial autopsy. And then they do all their um, their further testing. Mm-hmm. And when they were doing the further testing, things kept popping up like they they detected a heart gene that was. It's called a gene of unknown significance. And so, so that is really not helpful. <laughs> yeah. It's not. So it's like they they find this thing where they're like, this could have caused his death, but maybe not. <laughs> yes. Thanks for nothing. Yes, exactly. And so it had us all worried for, you know, my husband who also has this gene because okay. it can cause like sudden sudden death and so we were worried about my husband who also carries this gene we were worried about Alice who who could have carried this gene and then at that point we had been told that it was fine to um to have another baby yeah and so we were newly pregnant like maybe six weeks pregnant when we found out about this gene Mm -hmm. and then we were like oh my gosh have we gotten ourselves into a situation where we stand to lose this child as well right and so they did more testing on the gene. It's still, they're not sure if that's the reason. And then by the time his full autopsy report came back almost a year later, we got a call from our geneticist and she said that his autopsy was not normal. Mm-hmm. All the tests that they did under a microscope, his liver was, it was stage four fatty liver disease. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was quite sick. Mm -hmm. But you would have never known it from the outside. Yeah. His heart also had some damage as well. But he just looked so healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I would have never looked at him and thought that there was something wrong. And I still look back at pictures and he just, he just looks so happy and healthy. And it's just it's hard to believe that in some of those pictures in less than 12 hours, he was gone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially when you know that there was stuff inside going on that was not normal and you just couldn't see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, that makes it hard to, you know, trust that the people that I love and care about are okay. Right. 
because it's happened once before <laughs> where, you know, someone looked fine and then they weren't. So it's hard to, you know, look at any small illness in my children or when my husband is sick and not think that something is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I, you know, recently I started caring for a family who lost their first, their son with in a what's thought to be like a SIDS death. And now they have a, a little girl. And I f- kind of felt like, I mean, she called me to ask if I would be the pediatrician. And I said I would honor, be honored to. And then I talked with another one of the pediatricians in the office who did see them in the hospital. And I said, I think I should be the only pediatrician for any of these families. Because you just, it's different. Yeah. Once you've lost a child, it is different. And the fear that you have is just can't be, I think, explained or appreciated by people who haven't experienced it. So I feel like this family and other families, I mean, I told my office manager, I said, if you ever have a new family coming in who've lost a child, I need to be the ones to see them. Because they just, I know that I will get them and understand them and understand that fear. And and I also am not afraid to talk about it with them. I'm not afraid to talk about you know, their their son and mention his name and say, this must scare you today. And I totally get that and understand that. And before I lost Andy, I wouldn't have. I mean, I have someone in my practice who had lost a child, had another child, picked me because I'd never taken care of the first child. I mean, she picked me on purpose because she didn't have an association with the other one. And I never had brought it up. I never brought up that little boy's name because I was thinking to myself, I don't want to make her feel bad. I don't want to get her crying. Clearly, she picked me because I didn't have a relationship with him. Like, that was stupid. Everything I thought (laughs) was right was completely stupid and wrong because I am sure that she would have loved to talk about it and loved to mention it. And just because it was easier to see someone who didn't take care of him, and I think that is still was definitely the case, that doesn't mean she doesn't want to bring him up and mention him. You know? No. But you don't know any of that until you know. No, you don't. Right? You don't. Yeah. I mean, that's another reason, though, that I do the podcast that I, you know, recently I went and had my teeth cleaned by my dental hygienist. And she she kind of asked how how to deal with grieving people. She had another patient who had lost their son. And I said, just talk about him. Ask about him. That's what they want. Don't go in just scared and terrified that you're going to say something to make her cry. The tears are there. I mean, they're there. And it, just because they come doesn't mean anything that you no. did was wrong. <laughs> no, no, they didn't upset you. You're just upset. <laughs> right, exactly. You can't do anything to make yeah. me more sad. You're not going to personally no. make my grief worse. It's just no. might be come to the surface a little bit, but. And sometimes it's just, it's such a relief to know that people care and that they want to hear about them. And yeah. 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 So what's it been like now watching Alice grow? It's complicated. Yeah. It's, 
her and her sister. She has a sister. They, Alice and Eli have a younger sister. Mm-hmm. They're 16 months apart. They are just, so they're two and three now. They are the kindest and most empathetic little girls that I know. Oh. And I'm, I'm just so proud of the little people that they are. And I know it's because they've lived an incredible loss. Yeah. And they, like, it's really sad because they're so little, but they know pain and they know loss. And yeah, you're 100% right there. I think about that a lot in my own house. I feel, I mean, I feel oftentimes very sad that, that, that my other kids have had to grow up now in a grieving house. And, yes. And I, you know, like when my daughter was ready to go to college this year, she really wanted to go to college. And I really wanted her to be able to go to college because I just felt so sad that she had to be in this grieving house, you know? Yeah. But on the other hand, they do have a lot of empathy. They do understand yeah. pain like others don't because they have lived this horror and yeah and there there is some beauty in that it's just you know there is it's like it's hard to explain it's so bittersweet because they are these wonderful people largely due to the experience that they've lived yeah but you still wish they hadn't lived it right right <laughs> right so being busy with a newborn baby and then pregnant so soon again, that how do you grieve and be a mom of young kids like that? Do you feel it was helpful to you? Do you feel it hurt? Honestly, we we knew pretty much right away that we had to have another baby in our family because it just broke our hearts to think that Alice had not been alone for one second of her life yeah. since the beginning. And now she was alone. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was just like another, another layer of um, just grief for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Abby is her best friend. Yeah. <laughs> So we definitely made the right decision, but it was, it was really difficult Mm. for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to have been difficult just having, going through some of those same things again, right? With pregnancy again and, and then delivery and then just having that anxiety in the back of your mind is, could this happen again? Could this happen again? Could this happen again? Exactly. And I mean, the the theory right now is that Eli died of an inborn error of metabolism, mm-hmm. um, but they haven't been able to associate a gene mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So they've done all the genetic testing that's available at this time. All of the issues that were present fit an inborn error of metabolism, but they just can't figure out, you know, which one it was or what gene we would use to test for it. So Essentially, we know that there is this problem that is most likely genetic, <laughs> but we have no way of testing our other children for it. Yeah. Yeah. So 
it, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely hard. And I think interesting though, that you may end up having an answer someday because Maybe. everything is changing so quickly in the areas of genetics and advancing so quickly <laughs> that things that you didn't know, you end up finding answers to later on, you know, and it's because they'll have that his genetic material, they have that. So it's not like yeah. they won't be able to test on it if there's something new comes around. So yeah, we recently retested it. And every time I mean, we expect there not to be a new answer just because it, it was it's so hard hearing that, you know, your child has died, and we have no idea why. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to hear that. And so every time that, you know, we get a call from genetics or we have to retest something, I always put myself in the headspace that we are not going to find out anything new. (laughs) And you are going to hear once again that we don't know because it's crushing if you think you're going to get, it doesn't change anything having an answer, but it's like having a reason makes it make a little more sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I talked to my therapist about that. And so I had some post-traumatic stress, obviously, after the accident. And I lost probably about 20 minutes of time that I have no memory of. But I wasn't unconscious because I actually got out of the car and I was sitting on the side of the road when I woke up. Not really woke up because obviously I was awake. So, I mean, when I started asking my husband questions like what happened and is he going to be okay and these questions, I think he was looking at me kind of weird because it's not like I hadn't been sitting there the whole time, but I had been completely unaware and I had no memory up until that point. Mm -hmm. And so she worked with me quite a bit in some ways to try to see if we could get that memory back. Because she said every mom, because she works exclusively with bereaved moms, that's all she does. She said every mom I've ever worked with wants to know exactly what happened. Yeah. And as painful as it is to go through, they want to know exactly what happened. And so I was that way too. Like I was so upset with myself. Like I was there for his first breath and I was there for his last breath, but I don't remember it. And that just killed me that I didn't remember his last breath, right? Even though I was technically there. So it it was interesting just to talk to her about that and about how that's just universal, that just moms just feel like they need that. And unfortunately, I I was not able to get that back. And, you know, and a lot of people say, you wouldn't want to remember it. It was horrible. Why did you even try to remember it? But it was just this need that I just felt like I wanted to know everything that happened. I wanted to know every moment. And it's very similar with you with wanting to know exactly what happened. Like as painful and horrible as that is, you really do want to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our brains don't like unanswered questions. And situations like this, they, they make no sense just on a base level. Like you're not supposed to outlive your children. So any question that remains you want answered because you're trying to sort all of this out Mm -hmm. and make sense of something that doesn't make sense. So when there's all these questions that remain, it makes even less sense. Mm -hmm. And what's funny too, like in my case, like 
I can imagine what happened. And I know it's not a real memory because I know it's not from where I am, but I almost can imagine like from being outside looking in the driver's door where my husband was, I can imagine seeing him from Eric saying what things looked like, from Peter saying what things looked like. I have filled it in almost to the point that it feels like a real memory. It feels like yeah. I actually did see it, that it happened. But I know it's not real. But my your mind is such that it feels like it needs answers so badly that it will make it up in your head mm -hmm. and make make things that clearly that's not a real memory. I know it's not a real memory, but my mind wants to make sense of it and to piece in these things that are missing. Yeah, I, I kind of have that too. And where sometimes I'll be looking at, you know, pictures of him and be like, Oh, does his abdomen look swollen? Like, did I miss that? Yeah. Or I'll think like he he had reflux all the time, like that was a symptom and you missed it. Yeah. And, you know, you're just trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And make you have had a little more control. Yeah. Because you had no control. You had no power at all. No control. Neither did I. But in, when you start pulling these things in, it's almost like, oh, but like I can, like maybe I could have seen something. Or yeah. I could have done something. Yeah. Like I did have this little bit of power. No, you had nothing. There, there was nothing. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's not within our power or our job to somehow keep our children alive. Like these. <laughs> But it feels like that was your base job, right? That is my job. Exactly. My job is to keep the kids alive. And oh my gosh, that that is goes on to like some of the things that people say on Facebook and things like that. Like, oh, I'm barely keeping them alive. So I'm gonna, like, and it's like a joke. Okay. You know, sometimes people can't. And so yeah. please don't joke about it. Exactly. And it's it's like when people say things like that, it's like they're they're basically saying that you failed at the bare minimum. Yeah, right, right, right. And it's like you had no control in what happened to Andy. And I I had no way of knowing that Eli was. You had no control over that either. None. Going to die. None. So, yeah. Yeah. Comments like that can be really, really hurtful. <laughs> right. And no one thinks about it being a hurtful comment. No. Sure. That's never the intention, but it's just think about what you're actually saying. Right. Right. Yeah. And let's think yeah. a little bit about saying this to me <laughs> or saying yeah. it to you. Let's just think yeah, about it exactly. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So talk about the family and friends and support that you got and what that meant to you. And yeah, we, we've had a lot of support. It's. I find that it's difficult with twins because I it's it's almost like having Alice gives people the opportunity to kind of sidestep Eli sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for things like their birthday and stuff like that, we get a lot of like happy birthday, Alice, and just, you know, like that date days like that or like their first anything is it's always going to be there's so much behind it for us it's not right. just you know walking Alice off to kindergarten it's going to be like walking one of our children who yeah. should be there with her brother mm -hmm. 
but I think, I think we've come a long way in kind of understanding that for most people, there is a limit to what they can understand without having lived it. Yes. And they are going to try their best because they love us and they love our kids. They love Eli. They're going to try their best, but sometimes they're going to say things that kind of don't come off the way that they intended or um, that, that might kind of sting for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we've also come to learn that, you know, it's not there. Some people are just never going to understand and it's not our job to make them understand. Right. But because you can't. No, you can't. But also their lack of understanding doesn't make us wrong. Mm -hmm. So just because they're not able to get to a place where they understand how losing a child is lifelong or that Mm -hmm. I'm going to be thinking of Eli on their 50th birthday. Like, right. It doesn't go away. But that does Mm -hmm. someone else not understanding that it doesn't make my feeling wrong. I think too about different women that I've talked to and how when they've gotten pregnant again, these have been in single child loss. Yeah. So when they've lost their first and then they get pregnant again, I feel like there's this overwhelming sense of, oh, thank God they have another baby because now we don't have to worry about them anymore. <laughs> like they got this sort of replacement and now, you know, almost like you got a new puppy, yeah. so you don't have to worry about them anymore because they're going to forget all about that old dog. <laughs> and so, and I feel like with you, you would have had that from the beginning. I mean, how many times did people say to you, well, I'm so glad you still have Alice. Yeah. Thankfully you have Alice. And like that made somehow losing Eli less bad because you still had like a backup. Or yes. something. Oh my I mean, goodness. Was... I've said that so many times that I, I had twins. I didn't have a backup. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I just, that must have been just extremely difficult. And I hope that people listen to this and kind of can correct that in their own mind that yeah. a twin does not mean that you had a backup copy in case the original something happens yeah. you know it's they're two unique individuals and you lost one and it doesn't matter I mean I think about my friend Stephanie who had quadruplets and yeah. lost one of her quadruplets and the girls go together somewhere and people always ask if they're triplets and they always say no we're quadruplets I love that that's because one is missing. Here. Yeah. One is missing and will always be and they will never be triplets. Yeah. And that's the thing too with Alice. Alice is a twin yeah. and will be a twin forever. Yeah. For her whole life. And that, yeah. She, anyway, I just wanted to just bring that up yeah. for people listening to think about that when you lose one and they're multiples. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's so true. It's, it's a, it's a part of who she is. She, she is a twin and Mm -hmm. she, she talks about that. She tells people about her brother. I'm so glad. Sometimes it makes people uncomfortable, but I don't really care to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Good. 
good. I'm so glad you don't. Who I care about in that situation is Alice, who's sharing her tender heart with with people. And, you know, we've had some some pretty incredible reactions from um, like strangers that she's told about her brother. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just whenever we have one of those really nice experiences it just brings me so much joy because it's like, she's so little and I'm, I'm worried about someone saying something hurtful to my three-year-old who's sharing right. about her brother who died. And just when someone says something kind, I'm just like, Oh my goodness, you have no idea how much that means to me. Right. Because you do want Eli remembered. Yeah. And you want Eli to have mattered. And even though he was only on this earth with you for a few short weeks, it it doesn't mean that he was any less valuable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's just as valuable as your other kids. And yeah, I think it's beautiful, beautiful that Alice talks about her brother. I, it's just amazing. Yeah. We went for so, a walk the other day and some... Some um, woman was passing by and she asked Alice as a joke if Abby was her little brother and because she was wearing her, you know, all pink everything. And (laughs) Alice said, no, that's my sister, Abby, but I have a brother. He lives in heaven and someday we'll all get to be together again. And this lady just looked at her and said, that's what life is all about. You do your life here and then you go meet up with your people in heaven. And it was like instant tears on my, my part because she couldn't have said, she couldn't have had a better response. No, that is so beautiful. That is making me cry too. I love that she did that. I know. I feel like in general, that is not what people would do. It's really not. It's one of the best experiences that I've ever had. Yeah. yeah. And sharing Eli with someone because there wasn't there wasn't any discomfort. Like she answered Alice as though Alice had told her what her favorite color was. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just normal. Yeah. I just wish that people could do that more. Me too. But they just don't feel like they can. Yeah. I guess that's my kind of dream that people will think of stuff like that and say things like that instead of the kind of stupid stuff that a lot of times people do say. Yeah. Yeah. All the like oh. platitudes and <laughs> yeah. 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 I think back to, I, I know I've said this on the podcast before about this, that phlebotomist that took Peter's blood a few weeks after Andy died and he, she was just trying to make small talk and asked how many brothers and sisters he had. And he just looked at me, it was just this horrified look on his face and said, then turned to her and said, I have one sister because he just didn't want to go into it. And she goes, oh, you don't sound too happy about that. Oh. She's just like this sarcastic kind of thing. And and he and then he starts crying like he immediately starts crying. Mm-hmm. And then I turned to her and I said, well, he ha- had a brother and he died in a car accident a few months ago. And she just said, oh, well, you've got to look on the bright side. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. I was like. What is that exactly? I thought, what is the bright side to you? Just you know, he's sobbing over there, 
thinking about his dead brother who's not been gone very long at all and uh, then that's the comeback line that you have like you need to get a little better at, oh <laughs> at something and being okay and just saying I'm so sorry that must be really hard for you buddy and anything anything else yeah. other than somehow trying to put some sort of a positive spin on it there's no positive spin to be put on that no. I mean, what what that woman said to you was so beautiful because she acknowledged the pain that there is on the earth and that you do the best that you can and then you get the reward, yeah. right? And so, you know, for that woman to have said even something like that, I mean, obviously it wouldn't have been great in that instance because he didn't say my brother's in heaven. He didn't say anything. I just said he was dead. But but when you when she since she put it out there and said, mm -hmm. I have a brother in heaven, then she can acknowledge the hardness here yes. and then acknowledge the reward that is to come. Yes. Right. So like this woman met my daughter where she was at in that conversation. Yes. And this woman, this phlebotomist tried to bring your son out of like <laughs> this terrible spot of having lost his brother being like, it's actually you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, right. Actually, no. you're fine. And things are really good. Yeah. Actually, you didn't know this, but things are really good because you're lucky because you didn't die. Yeah, exactly. I think it I think that's what it was. That was, well, he's not dead yeah. and I'm not dead. So I guess that's good that only one of the people in the car died. I don't know. Yeah. I mean that that's but again, that's it wasn't you're perfect in saying that that woman came and sat exactly in the space with your daughter. Yeah. She joined both of you in the space that you were in. Yes. And that's what people need to do is join you in your space. Yes. And right now, that that moment, Peter was crying. I was crying. She could join us in that space and say, I have no words to say to you. I'm so sorry to bring that up, whatever. Yeah. But then you join me in that space and you acknowledge this is difficult. Yeah. And then that's it. Yep. But to try to think that she was going to magically say something that was going to make him stop crying, make me stop crying and make our life seem good was just ridiculous and foolish. Yeah. Well, it's just it's the lack of being able to bring yourself to that place of empathy because it is so painful. Right. So yeah. You don't you don't want to feel that pain as an outsider. So you're trying to think of ways to pull people out of it rather than like join them in it and be like. Yeah, that's devastating. I am so sorry. Yeah. And that's the thing. She was going to be with us for another 20 seconds. Yeah. She could have sat with us for 20 seconds. It did not have to bring her down. No. But to to come there and be sit with a person for even those few seconds when you have a very brief encounter is really important. Yes, definitely. Because you're never going to get pulled no one is ever going to show you the bright side of this and pull you out no. of it. No. No. <laughs> and all of that hard stuff, as much as you want to make it better and make people better because you love them, they actually have to get through the hard stuff on their own in some ways. Yeah. Like you can sit there with them. But I had to go through the hard stuff. I had to go through the anger, the guilt, the sadness, all of that hard stuff. I had to work through it. Me. Yeah. Something, somebody from the outside can't just tell me to turn the feelings off and then they will suddenly go away. I have to work through them all. Yes. 
and you're you have to work through them every time they come up yeah. because it's yeah. not it's not like this you know grief staircase that you walk up and then you get to the top and you're like I'm here I'm healed right yeah I had a woman a neighbor lady say that to me she was like hurt she had lost her mother and she said I just can't wait till I get to the top of the mountain of grief oh <laughs> and then I'll get better yeah and I was looking at, I was like oh sorry but that's so not how it works I didn't say it like that I was just I was trying to very kindly say well what I ended up saying was I don't think of grief as a mountain that you go down I think of it as you're on a long journey with a really long windy road and you can't see what's coming ahead but after a while you turn around and you realize you can't see where you were either so you have made progress along that long journey but if you think of it as a mountain that someday you're just going to hit the top and then everything's going to be great yeah. afterwards. That's just, it's just not the way it is. Yeah. Unfortunately. We've kind of said that it's like losing Eli and living without him. It's not, our grief doesn't get any easier. Like day to day doesn't really get any easier. It's more just that like we are better prepared and we get better at dealing with the loss and like living with it. But it's not that the less the loss gets less important or less big, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I have really uh, gotten a lot from our conversation and I loved hearing about your kids. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and letting me talk about my boy. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.